Welcome to the Faith Bridge Sermons Podcast. Today's sermon is brought to you by founding pastor Ken Warline and was recorded on Sunday, January 22nd, 2023. And hey, if you're ever in the area, join us on Sunday on campus at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. and come say hi in person. You can also follow us on Instagram at faithbridge to see what goes on during the week. And as always, you can join us every Sunday for our online service called Faithbridge Live at faithbridge.org slash live. Here's Ken. Well, good morning. Welcome. So glad that you're here, whether you're in this room, whether you're in the communion venue, whether you're online, somewhere else today. We're really, really glad you're here. Why don't you turn in your Bibles? We'll go to Acts, A-C-T-S, in the New Testament, fifth book, chapter two. And I see some ushers, and uh, I know they're on both sides. If you need a Bible, you just wave at one of the ushers. They'll be happy to let you borrow one, and you can keep it. If you need a Bible, our gift. While you're turning to Acts chapter 2, I'll just mention how pleased I am with how many of you went to the Serve Expos the last couple of weeks, and hundreds of you got signed up for Serve Teams and Grow Groups and Mission Experiences. And that's really what makes church meaningful and transformational when we come from the large group of worship into the smaller group community. So glad many of you are taking uh, that step. And that's where so many of the memories are made, really. I was thinking of, uh, well, any number of groups that I've been a part of or led over the years, but one in particular several years ago was in a grow group with Suzanne. And there was one fellow in the group who was particularly inclined to just speak out at any time what he was feeling. And we were talking about the Holy Spirit, as I recall that evening, and, and, um, and God was doing a good work in our midst. And all of a sudden, this fellow who was sitting just right over here to, to my side, he just goes, oh, Ken, it happens whenever I come to this group. I just, I feel the love, I feel the peace, I feel the joy. I, like you open up, the, we, we study the word and I just, I just feel it. But I know what's going to happen, he said. I'm going to go out of here through that door, get in my car, and 30 minutes later I'm going to get a couple of texts that tell me some bad news or somebody's going to cut me off on the road home and I'm going to get in a, in a bad place in my mind and, and everything that was happening in here, it'll just be out the window. Then he said, Ken, I just got to figure out a way how I can take you with me everywhere I go. <laughs> and all of us laughed. And I said, no, 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 no. See, that's, that's not what you need because trust me, I have my ups and downs too. The good news is I have one better. You can go with the Holy Spirit. He will go with you out that door. The problem with many of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, we just haven't learned how to live in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, appropriating his power into our lives throughout the ins and outs of the ups and downs of our life. And so that's what we're going to talk about today as we come uh, further into our study on Acts Uh, in this year-long journey that we're taking. Now, let's just recap in case uh, you weren't here. I'll just do a recap of what has happened here in Acts chapter 1 and the first part of Acts chapter 2. Jesus has been raised and the disciples, the apostles, they are ecstatic. They were shocked and uh, amazed and and thrilled and surely saying to Jesus, now what are you going to do to top our resurrection? What's your sequel going to be? And Jesus has in essence said, you 
are going to be my sequel. I'm going to send you out now, and you're going to go on to the world, and you're going to make disciples. And I'm going to go on back to heaven because my mission is finished. I'm going to go back to my father who is in heaven. To which uh, they say, surely, oh, we don't think that's a great idea for you to do that, Jesus, because trust us, we're not that good. You know, we don't even trust us. You shouldn't be trusting us. And Jesus, as if he didn't know that, assures them, no, 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 it's good for me to go because only if I go can I then, can the Father send the Holy Spirit. And the good thing about the Holy Spirit coming is that unlike me, Jesus saying, I could only be beside you one place at a time, but the Holy Spirit can be inside you, inside everyone at the same time and can journey with you. So that's where we have been. And then Pastor Dan took us through uh, the first part of Acts chapter two, after Jesus has said, go back to uh, Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit. Don't go and try to change the whole world without the Holy Spirit. That will not work. You're right. And so they go back and they wait. It would end up being 10 days that they would wait. And then boom, 50 days after Easter on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes upon those 120 there in the upper room who are waiting for the Holy Spirit. And Pastor Dan did a marvelous job. If you didn't hear the message last week, I hope that you go back and listen to that message. But let's pick it up right where he left off. So the Holy Spirit's come upon them and powerful things are happening. Acts chapter 2, 13. Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. And then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all you who, are, who, who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. So listen carefully to what I say. These people, they're not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was supposed was spoken to the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people and your sons and daughters will, be, will prophesy and your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. And even on my servants, both men and women, I'll pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Remember, mind you, this is Peter's first sermon. We have no indication he's ever preached a sermon uh, before. And, he, and you just imagine at this point, the, the apostles who, who are thinking to themselves, that's not the Peter we know. What has gotten into him? He, he's actually making sense. He's even quoting scripture. He's bringing up Joel and this is kind of good. And so verse 21, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, Peter says. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonder, wonder signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, you put him to death by nailing him to the cross, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Now, what's happening? Peter's preaching boldly. He's, He's preaching courageously. And you have to remember what had happened just eight weeks prior. Just eight weeks prior, 
Peter was not bold. Peter was not courageous. He just blathered on to Jesus. Oh, I am so confident. I am so strong. And even if you go to the death, I'll go with you, Jesus. And what happens hours after he says that? There in the courtyard, Jesus is going through the mockery of a trial and a gathering around the charcoal fire. And this little young lady says, hey, to Peter, don't, I think we, aren't you one of his disciples? And he says, no, never saw him in my whole life. I don't know who that guy is over there. And three times he denies, I don't know him. Leave me alone. I, I swear I don't know him. That was the Peter just eight weeks ago. Not anymore. Now he's preaching Christ crucified, dead, buried, and raised to life. Something has, has happened. And I bet that Peter himself, even as he's preaching, these words are coming out of his mouth. Even he is probably thinking to myself, man, this feels different than the Peter that I know. I'm a fisherman. I'm not even a preacher. And I'm the brash, impulsive one who always sticks my foot in my mouth. And I start laughing and I jump out of the boat and start to sink. And I chop the soldier's ear off in the Garden of Gethsemane. And now I'm speaking words and wielding the sword of God. And it's cutting not people's ears, but it's cutting through to their hearts. Look at verse 37. When people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you, for your children, for all who are far, far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Verse 41, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000 people come forward to trust Christ and get baptized. And I can tell you, I've sat through a lot of preaching classes, and I've taught a lot of preaching classes. I ain't ever heard a first sermon like this first sermon with these kind of results. I bet Peter himself whispered, a prayer after all of this had happened. Lord, I had no idea what you meant when you said it's good for you to go because I could only be beside you, but the spirit will come and he will be inside you. I get it now. I could experience, I experienced it. I felt his presence within me, giving me the words and the confidence and the power to preach in that moment. I'm telling you, Lord, I, I'll never go back. You are absolutely right. There's nothing like being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're talking about Today And I love that Luke takes us into a focus here on the Holy Spirit in chapter 2. And so I want to just pause here and go no further. I don't want to go so much into the words of Peter, although that's an interesting talk. If we were in a preaching class, we might analyze the actual outline of his sermon. I don't think that's the message for us today. I think rather what we need to do is a little double click on what is Luke talking about and other authors in the New Testament talking about the filling of the Holy Spirit? Because I think there's a lot of confusion in American Christianity about the filling of the Holy Spirit. So I want us to just spend a little time and I'm going to give credit where credit's due to Tim Keller, an author, pastor, theologian up in New York City, who uh, I think makes as abundantly clear as I've ever seen 
uh, the, the reality that scripture is basically describing for us three different things, all under the same term, filling of the Holy Spirit. I think that's why there's a lot of confusion and even reticence among Christians to talk about the Holy Spirit. So what I want to do is, is help break down for us the three fillings of the Holy Spirit that are mentioned uh, throughout scripture. So if you're a note taker, here's the first one. The first one is the initial filling. That's the filling of the spirit that comes at conversion. When you trusted in Christ, when you put your trust in, and you understood the gospel and it finally clicked for you and you realize, oh, you mean I'm not saved by how many good things I can do? I can't work my way into God's good. Nope, that's not the way it works. You're saved by trusting in the works of Christ and what Christ did on the cross. He is our hope and our salvation. If we, that happens once we've come to realize he came to live the life of sinlessness that we couldn't live and die the death of suffering and persecution and and punishment that we deserved and conquer the grave we could never when you stepped across that line of faith and you took Christ what came in who came in Holy Spirit is who came into you at that point, there's some confusion about that because we do tend to, in American Christianity, we talk about inviting Jesus into your heart. And the confusion is manifest even by uh, the, an illustration like I read just uh, this past week of a, of a younger boy who was in a Sunday school class at church. And towards the end, the Sunday school teacher said, uh, children, before we go, I would like to ask who would like to invite Jesus to come into their heart? And one little boy raised his hand and says, well, I would. I'm just not certain how a grown-up is going to fit in here, though. And he was on to something of the problem that we uh, get ourselves into in American Christianity when we talk about inviting Jesus to come. It's the Holy Spirit who's coming in. We're trusting in the cross and, and what Jesus did on the cross for us and the resurrection. And it's the Spirit who is coming in this first time, this initial filling or, or indwelling or, or baptism. There's one faith, one Lord, one baptism. This is what he's talking about here, uh, this initial. Peter's talking about this initial filling of the Holy Spirit, even in the sermon that we were just reading. Verse 38, what did it say? Repent, be baptized, he preaches. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's when he comes in to you. And he's always the unsung hero of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We talk about the Father a lot, the Creator. We talk about the Son as Pastor Dan talked last week. Easy to think of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is a kind of the unsung hero. Even after conversion, we still talk about Jesus living inside of him. It's the Holy Spirit, his Holy Spirit, who's living inside of us. Even leading up to conversion, sometimes people say, well, you know, that was the day I decided I'm going to get saved. No. That's not the day that you decided you were going to get saved. There was something that was happening that you didn't see happening. His spirit was working inside of you, wooing you and drawing you and calling you and whispering to you. You should listen to that preacher, what he's saying. You need the Savior he's talking about. When, when, when you were sort of connecting the dots or following the breadcrumb trail, who was putting those breadcrumb trail there? That was the Holy Spirit who was beckoning and calling you 
into saving faith. But we don't give him the credit that he was due, that he is due, because he's the unsung hero in the Trinity. But it is he who, as Paul writes in Galatians 4, 6, is coming into us at our conversion. And this is one of the great differences, by the way, of Christianity and other world religions. Many people say, well, you know, they're all alike. No, no, no. There's so many differences, and I'm going to highlight one for you right now. If you were to join any of the other major world religions, let's say Islam or Buddhism, and what are you going to do? You're going to be given whatever their sacred book is and told you read this and we need to follow his examples. Who? Well, the head guy who started it, who wrote the book, and then he died and he's still dead, but we're doing our best to emulate him. That's not Christianity. Christianity is about our leader who didn't write the book himself. So there's no conflict of interest. It was written uh, by other people who knew him and watched him and followed him, who died and then was raised to life, goes back to heaven and says, now I'm going to infuse you with my Holy Spirit so that you'll have power, the dynamic of power that comes through my spirit so that you can actually follow me because you wouldn't be able to do it in your own strength. You see, so this is a great difference, one of many, between Christianity and other major world religions. But now, I know what's going through the mind of many of you. Upon conversion, um, we say, okay, now I've been filled with the Holy Spirit. The, the problem is, I still feel temptation. Well, it's a little bit like this. Suppose, have you ever had, well, many of you have. Uh, you've you had a little baby, and if you ever happened to be there uh, one day, they're just old enough lying in the crib and they look up at their hands and you can see it's starting to dawn on them. Those things are mine. Yes, and that's how we are at first with the Holy Spirit. He's within us, but we haven't learned how to appropriate his power. Oh, he's not a baby, but we're the baby. We're the young Christian who hasn't learned how to appropriate his power into our, our, our lives yet. It's going to take some time for the baby to grow up and learn how to hold a sippy cup and throw a ball and tie his shoes and catch the winning touchdown. Sure, but his hands were always there. So it is with us at conversion in the Holy Spirit. Now, why then do we lapse back? into sin, deceit, fear, bitterness, anger, lust, rage, greed, pride, and more. Because you didn't get the Holy Spirit? No. That happened when you trusted in Christ. The problem is you haven't learned how to live surrendered to him. So let's go to the second filling of the Holy Spirit. These are what we'll call the ongoing fillings through regular Surrender, Because, see, in any given moment in time, you and I are prone to, to, uh, to, to convince ourselves. In this moment, in this situation, a vengeful, spiteful word is due. You deserve a piece of my mind, and I'm going to give it to you right now. Oh, okay, I see what's going on. Or in this situation, you say, well, you know, I, if I tell the total truth and nothing but the truth, this kind of is going to cause, cause uh, give, uh, re I, just a little white lie. Not a big one, just, just a, a little bit. Or, Lord, Lord, I have been so good this week. I have 
been walking closely with you, and I, just for a few minutes, I need to compromise on my morals with this person or with this pornography. Uh, what's happening? In any of these situations, what's happening is we're simply lapsing back into our flesh. We're lapsing back into the mind t- mentality that we had when we didn't have the Holy Spirit living in us, when we didn't have Christ yet. Uh, and, and so though he has promised to us all of his riches, uh, all of his abundances according to his riches in, in, in heaven, we say, well, I don't think those riches are going to be quite enough. Not right now. So I'm going to take over. And Holy Spirit, you've been driving, but I'm going to reach on over and I'm going to scoot into the driver's seat. And why don't you go on the back seat? Because I'm going to take over in this moment right now. And if you knew what I'm fixing to do, you might want to get in the third row and cover your eyes. You know, and, and that's what we can do to the Holy Spirit. It's not gone. What's happened? We've just quenched the Holy Spirit. It's sort of... Um, uh, covered uh, that, that heat of the Holy Spirit and we're quenching the Holy Spirit and we've lapsed back into being controlled by our own fleshly spirit. Now the problem is you and I, we can only be controlled by one spirit at a time. You can't go two different ways at the same time if they're opposite ways. A house divided against itself, Jesus says, cannot stand. So our souls can't be uh, uh, divided, you can only be filled with one thing. So let me uh, just illustrate here what we're talking about. We read in the text that uh, Peter starts by saying, look, um, these people aren't drunk. Now, Suppose I took one of these and unbeknownst to you, I uh, had been taking this down during the rehearsal uh, that we had this morning. And then suppose I had taken this one down during the first service and then suppose, well, we got about 45 minutes in between services. And then suppose while I'm preaching here, hey, stay focused. Okay, we're here to learn, not to have fun. All right, so now what would happen? I would, it wouldn't take long for any of you to begin to say, you know, I don't think Ken quite seems like his normal self today. Why? Because I'm not being controlled by the Holy Spirit at this point. I'm being controlled by some other spirits at this point. <laughs> You see, and that's why Paul would write to the Ephesians in chapter five, don't be drunk with wine. That'll ruin your life. Rather be filled with his Holy Spirit. Now, stay with the metaphor of these kind of spirits because Paul would use it. Uh, Peter is talking about this. See, it makes for a good metaphor of how we, you and I, we can be filled with any number of things that are not the fullness of the spirit. We can be filled with sexual immorality, with impurity, debauchery, idolatry, with witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and on. Paul writes, if you read Galatians uh, 5 or 1 Corinthians 6, he, he's always giving these lists. Any number of them. He says, you can be filled with any of these things. And the problem is, 
You and I can only be filled with one thing at a time. And so you say, okay, I got it. So what do I do when I'm being tempted to lapse back in a pre-season, a pre-Christian state of mind and to be filled with the lust of my flesh or the greed of my flesh or, or just, the, the, just my flesh in general? What do I do? Reach down deep and turn over a new leaf and say, I'm not gonna do it. I'm not, I'm not, I promise. I swear I'm gonna stay faithful. To... No, willpower never works. What do you need? You need something more and something better. You need more of the Holy Spirit controlling you. You say, that's right, but how do I do that? Through one word, surrender. It comes through surrender. I know that feels very counterintuitive because everything else in our life we get because we go out and we achieve it. So I'm gonna achieve this walk with Christ. No, that's not the way it's gonna work. It comes by way of surrender. Dr. Bill Bright, who founded Crew Ministry, he used to uh, talk about how the filling of the Holy Spirit uh, occurs uh, sort of like a breathing exercise. Think of it as when you're tempted, uh, in those moments, uh, you exhale. You exhale uh, the temptation or the sin that you're wrestling with. And then you inhale. The stir, not literally, the spirit's already in you, but, but it's just a little bit of a reminder to us. Spirit, stir within me. I want to be controlled and filled more by you than by what is tempting to fill me right now. This is an active volitional move that we have to make in our hearts and minds in any given moment to stay filled with his Holy Spirit, you see. Uh, yesterday, my younger son, William, who has some interest in church history and historical figures, we got talking about several, and I said, do you know the story of Corrie Tim Boom? He said, no. I said, you've got to know her story. And I bet if you came along after 1990, you've never heard of Corrie Tim Boom. Corrie Tim Boom and her family, they were Christians. They lived in the Netherlands during World War II. And they took pity on the Jewish people who were being exterminated by Hitler and the Nazis and sent off to the concentration camps and gas chambers. And so they began to shelter some of the Jews and they put them into their house, <clears throat> the Tim Booms family house there in the Netherlands uh, behind a bookshelf. It was kind of like Anne Frank's story. And, and they would shelter them and keep them safe. And it worked for a long time until finally the secret came out and the Gestapo came and arrested her and her sister Betsy and her father and put them uh, on the train to go to the concentration camps as well. And she tells the story, Corrie Tim Boom, she's in heaven now, but she would tell the story of how uh, God gave her the grace and Betsy and she, they had a little part of the Bible, I think it was, a few verses or a few pieces of paper, and they, they would just cling to those, and they would encourage each other uh, in the concentration camps, and her sister would die uh, from that, and her father would die in a different concentration camp, but Corey was able to make it out alive, and she would go out and tell her testimony, and Billy Graham picked her up and started putting her on the platform at his big revivals around, and so she became really quite a, a well-known name 
uh, towards the middle or end of, of the last century as she would talk about her going through those concentration camps and, and, and how God supplied all that she needed to get through and how then he'd given her the grace to forgive all that had happened. And you too, she would preach, must be uh, forgivers even as we have been forgiven by our Father in heaven. All of that is preface to what happened in one memorable scene. She writes about the day that she was giving a talk uh, one evening to a church in Munich, Germany. It was her first time back in, in, in Germany. And she said, uh, as she was standing at the rear of the church, greeting people as they were going out uh, and thanking her, she saw out of the corner of her eye the SS uh, prison guard who had been in the concentration camp that she had gone to over the shower room door processing center at Ravensbrück prison. And for the first time, she was actually going to meet one of those wretched, cruel jailers. And she said the closer in the line that he moved up, the more she could feel percolating up in her rage and hatred and ill feelings as, these things, as she pictured her, her now dead sister's face, as she pictured the humiliation of standing there naked in front of all of these guards who were jeering at the piles of clothing as they got sprayed off. And, and, and finally, she said he was next. And that heavyset balding man stood before her and he said marvelous talk tonight Fraulein thank you for your message I once worked at Ravensbrook and I too am a Christian now and I know that God has forgiven me and he's washed away all my sins as you preached even for all the cruel things that I did there he said, but now I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fraulein. Will you forgive me? And he held out his hand. And Corey says, in that moment, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. She says, it's probably just a few seconds, but it felt like hours. There his hand was awaiting my response. And so finally, I prayed inwardly. I can't do it. I can't do it. All I can do is I can lift my hand. That's all I can do. I can raise my hand. But you will have to supply the feelings. She reached out her hand. And when she did, she writes, it was as if an electric current just took hold of her shoulder, down her arm, into the hand, into the clasped hands that they had. And he, she said, I do forgive you, brother, with all of my heart. And they cried and tears were coming. And she said, I had never felt a love so intensely as in that moment. Now, what was the key? Surrender. It came down to her moment of and here's the tricky thing, and this is, I think, why it's a good object lesson, a good uh, teaching lesson for us. You had in this one moment, in this one hour, Corey had been preaching, to, telling her story, and people are being touched and moved in the, in the church there, and she's full of the Spirit. 
in the line comes this man. She's now not being so filled with the spirit. She's starting to be filled with other spirits. And then she surrenders, mechanically holds out her hand, and God fills her again. You see how, how active this walk in the spirit is. We can be filled one moment and, 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 and then in the next moment be filled with something else. And that's why we're always having to make sure, am I operating in the fullness of the spirit? Because we can only be controlled by one thing at a time. But boy, there's nothing better than a spirit-filled husband, a spirit-filled wife, a spirit-filled mom or dad or son or daughter or friend or, or relative or neighbor or coworker or a spirit-filled employer or a spirit-filled employee. All that, all of us, you and I might be spirit-filled people every single hour of every single day. Now let's talk about one final filling in our last remaining minute. This is what we'll call the surprise fillings. When God brings the unexpected unction and power. This is what happened in the passage Dan talked about last week. In Acts chapter two, whaboom, the Holy Spirit comes. Now, what you have to understand about the first two fillings that we talked about, there is a lot of volition and surrender in that. We're coming to a point where we're saying, I'm trusting in you and I'm asking you to come into my life and save me, Lord. That, that first one. And the second one, we're surrendering. In this moment, I'm not gonna be controlled by the spirit that's trying to control me. I'm gonna be, I'm, I'm yielding to your spirit as Corey Tim Boom did. There's volition. This third filling we don't get to control it as much. It's something that, that really runs according to God's sovereignty in ways that we, we, we can't really prescribe to other people. If you do this, then this will happen. No, we don't exactly know because it has less to do with ours. But, but Keller says, think of this filling. It's sort of like the floodlight of the Holy Spirit. You ever been driving along and you turn on your upper beams at night out in the country and then whoo, you're like, whoa, I can see so much more and so much better. Sometimes the Holy Spirit just comes in and surprises us with new waves of his presence. Dwight L. Moody, he was a fellow born to a father who died when he was four. And he would grow up poor and, and he worked in a for a shoe cobbler and uh, a man named Kimball his Sunday school teacher would come over and talk with him and eventually led him to trust in Christ and eventually Moody himself would uh, go into ministry and would begin to to preach and but nothing terribly powerful was happening in his ministry there was two ladies who would come in here and preach every week and they began to pray for him send the power Send the power on Dwight L. Moody. Send the power of spirit. And they even told him, we're praying for you, that you would have a new touch, a fresh touch from his spirit. And instead of being offended by that, Moody joined them in the prayer and, and began to seek the same and say, God, I don't know what more you might have, but I want whatever it is that you would be happy to offer me. According to Moody's son, one day a very uh, unexpected as he was walking up Wall Street 
in New York City. Boom, in the bustle, in the hurry of that moment, God's power fell on Dwight L. Moody. And he felt the presence of the Spirit so palpably in his soul. He had to steer off, veer off into a friend's house and say, can I go up in the room and just be by myself? And in those hours, he was by himself. He would write saying, I was just feeling wave upon wave upon wave of the joy of the Lord coming upon me to the point that finally I had to say, Lord, stop. If you don't stop, I think I might drop dead of joy right here in this moment, stay your hand. There was just this wave that was coming upon him. And it was after that that his ministry really did begin to take off in a very powerful way. And he would become a a well-known evangelist, Moody Wood, all across our nation. And he would take seven tours to England and do revivals over there. And a a college, Bible college, that at least one of our students is there, Moody Bible College. Um, And... and, um, I bet some of you have had a moment like that. I have. Where the Holy Spirit just showed up and surprised you. I told you about one that I had several years ago. Where I, I said, I just, I, I came out here and I said, I, I feel like I have been sleepwalking in my faith. But not anymore. And I described for you what had happened. And these are powerful moments. And you wish you could put them in a bottle. And, or you could build a condo there and just... Stay there all the time, but, but you can't. God just gives us these special moments where he infuses us with, with an extra burst. I see it sometimes when people come back from mission trips, oftentimes. I've seen it my boys. They come back and where normally they might come home and you say, how was the day? And that's about what you get. And, and they come home from the mission trip and, you know, and they talk for, you know, and you get all the details. And it's like, I can tell the Holy Spirit has been working inside of you. There's nothing like, but you can't prescribe these. And I think this is where Christians have done ourselves some harm in trying to go around and say, let me tell you about this this third filling of the spirit. And I'm gonna tell you, here's what happened to me. And so here's how it'll happen for you. Well, that's as silly as saying, go walk up Wall Street in New York City. It happened to Moody, it'll happen to you. No, that's as silly as saying, uh, Peter saying to you, well, you know, just stand up and start preaching and 3,000 people will get, I don't think that that ever happened again. Now, you can't prescribe those. These are just the touches that the Holy Spirit gives. But when we get to be a part of those moments, it's something very palpable and very, very special and very memorable. That's why we look back in church history and we say clearly that's what was happening here in the book of Acts. So all here in chapter two, you have going on. You have the, the initial filling of people being converted. You have this, this powerful moment of all the, the early church getting the spirit. And, and now you have this Peter who is just surrendered and yielded like he's never been in his life. You see all three of these happening in chapter two, these fillings of the Holy Spirit. And we see them uh, as you go through church history. That, that's what was happening with the Wesley brothers, John and Charles Wesley and George Whitfield, when this great awakening happened in the 1700s and the New York revival that happened in the 1800s and, and more. And I've told you the last few weeks, I've been praying and so have many pastors throughout Houston. Lord, would you do it again in Houston? In Houston? Would you just, would you bring revival to our city, 
my friend Jeff Wells at Woods Ed Church. I, I think it was about the fifth time I heard him say, I'm praying that I could see revival in our city before I die. I, th- I had been saying that for a couple of years, but it finally it got me. And I said, you know, that's what I want too. And many of us are praying that. And I'm going to invite you to pray, Lord, would you just show up here in the city of Houston that hundreds and thousands of people would say, I'm not going to find security and salvation, not in the things of this world, not in the politicians of this world. I want more of God. I want more of your spirit. I want you to be the most prevalent thing in my life. All that God might show up and do yet another new thing in our midst. I want us to close in prayer and what, how I want us to do it is we're just going to pray in three different movements since we kind of talked about three different fillings. And so I'll, I'll invite you right where you are. Why don't you just, would you bow and let's make ourselves open to praying. Lord, thank you for your Holy Spirit for giving us not just a book, not just an example and say, good luck, try to follow it, but saying I'll come inside of you. And that's what makes all the difference. Now, if you're here and you've never said yes to Jesus in the first place, you never opened your heart up and said, I need a savior. I want what you did on the cross to apply to my life as well. Why don't you just even in this quiet moment say, I'm inviting you to come in. Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me of unrighteousness. Fill me full of your spirit that I might learn how to follow you. Walk according to your ways as a disciple of Christ. Now, maybe you came in today and you say, yes, I say I've, done, I've taken care of that one. It's this middle one that I'm in and out on so many times. Even today, you say, we were yelling at each other, trying to just get here and get ready in the car. And Lord, would you fill me with your spirit? Help me to surrender that control that is so enticing to us all. To be yielded to your spirit. Sailing along like the, the skier behind a ski boat not paddling along like in a canoe or a a rowboat. And then, Lord, about that third one, we know we don't really get to choose times and places where you're going to show up and just put an extra spark in, but, Lord, we open ourselves to it. And certainly, we're asking that you would do a new thing throughout our city, that our city would really come into a season of revival, that even throughout history, people would look back and say, you know, there was something about the, ni- uh, the 2020s. Around 2023, God showed up and did a powerful thing in the city of Houston. Lord, we would ask that you might do that. And on the micro level, that you would do a surprise in each of our own hearts and souls in however way, fashion, and form you would so see fit to do. So we yield ourselves to you, Spirit.